Welcome back to New Am Sam Radio, the podcast for creatives. Once again, it's Flobo Boyce and uh, the mayor of this great city of New Amsterdam. For those of us that have an idea, a creative spark, this town is for you. Welcome, citizen. Now, we're in full swing of the holiday season, and this is like to say the gift that I have been sharing over the past weeks rolls on. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, typically, I would have abridged interviews of my guests here on New Amsterdam Radio on the audio version, and I would implore you to check out the full-length, unabridged video versions of these interviews over at patreon.com slash voice. But over the past three or four weeks, you may have noticed that we have been... I mean the royal week, because it's really just me, right? <laughs> been uploading the full versions, the full audio versions of these interviews. Just to show you how in-depth we go, how much time we really get to dive into what makes a creative person tick. So if you've been checking those out, thank you so much. And if you have uh, the opportunity to check out the Patreon page at patreon.com slash voice, the boisterous crew. As I like to call it, support the podcast, support this homie, support New Amsterdam and the shows around it. And if you're like, you know what, man, I'm just trying to survive the holiday season. Totally understand. Like, comment, leave a comment about this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend about the show. Today's guest is someone I've known personally for over a decade. And I'm at that age now where I can actually say this. <laughs> it's legitimate. I mean, time slows down for no one. Uh, Rosanna Gill is a fantastic executive public relations professional, but she had decided to launch her podcast, Breaking Labels, which we'll go into more detail during our talk, during the pandemic, during 2020, and that alone is inspirational on a whole bunch of levels. One, going forward, full stop, going forward in a year where if you decided to push what you wanted to do in life, no one would fault you, no one would blame you, and to do it at such a high level out of the gate, I, for one, was impressed. Hit her up on social media. I was like a big fan, and uh, we got a chance to actually do a podcast exchange. And so, if you like uh, hearing Rosanna's story and you like breaking labels for podcasts, stick around because yours truly, Flobo Voice, is going to be on an episode of that podcast as well. Without further ado, though, this is Rosanna Gill, and you're listening to New Amsterdam Radio. Welcome back to New Amsterdam. We are here not quite live in the mayor's office. Once again, it's Flobo Boys. It's talking with creatives and figuring out what makes them tick because you asked the why and the how. But my guest today is someone which I literally told her five minutes ago is one in a million. Killing it in the PR game, decided to launch her own podcast. And I am honored to say I have known this individual for over 15 years because I look so young even though I'm so old. Give it up. Hey, Gill. How you doing? <laughs> hello, hello. <laughs> so, so I know it's the holiday season. It's Black Friday. They were recording this, and I want to know if you have any like holiday traditions or Black Friday traditions. Anything crazy going on? Um, one tradition, and it's so much easier to justify it this year, is that I avoid stores at all costs. Uh, I don't like crowds. I don't even actually confession. When I go grocery shopping, I usually listen to headphones so I don't have to hear all the commotion and like the chaos around me. Like I, what, what is on your playlist? You relations, I don't like people a lot. <laughs> not in big crowds or situations like yeah. that. Black Friday, not my jam. So you go to stores with headphones. What's playing? Like what's what's in your ears? Oh, um, so it depends on the mood. 
Um, sometimes if I'm like, I need to get in and get out, it might be a little bit of DMX trick daddy. Um, I do. I like, but then other day, but lately, like I've been on this, like, I don't even know what genre of music it is, but like a lot of Halsey. Um, yeah. Uh, the other one. Like vocal EM. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Is that what it's called? I mean, she does dabble in that, but not all the okay. time. It's, I, I like it's pop, I guess. Yeah. I like Billie Eilish. Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. The kids. Although I didn't too. know it was Eilish until a couple months ago. I thought it was Elish this whole time. Didn't realize oh, yeah. it was an I, not an L. Yeah, she cleaned up at the Grammys, man. She just totally made that happen this year. Woo. I didn't watch the Grammys, but I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna assume yes. <laughs> well, it's funny how like you listen to songs on the radio. This is with me. I guess I'm getting older, or whatnot, because I um I DJ weddings, of course. Uh, I've mentioned that on a couple episodes. But you'll hear an artist, you're like, that's ah, right. But then you go to a party, and everyone's like, oh, can you play that new Billie Eilish? And you're like, oh, is she the truth now? I had no idea. <laughs> I guess I'm just um losing a step, <laughs> you know. But yeah, she's been she's been killing the game. That's what's up. Mm-hmm. I have never I have not done the suit up headphones on to shop before. But I can totally see if crowds aren't your thing. I can totally see why. Mm-hmm. But before we get into what you're working on creatively, let's talk about the day job. Now, when I first when we first met in college, you were on that PR track, and I was like, "That's cool." I had no idea what PR meant, especially now. But then I was just scrolling the internet. I won't name the company, but somebody is at the executive level doing it, killing the game up there in the East Coast. Talk me me through this, walk me through this, how that journey got you from that class in in Flagler College all the way to the corner suite. (laughs) The corner suite that is my kitchen table, thanks to COVID. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So when I graduated from Flagler, I actually got a job um, working for an insurance company and I mean, it was called public relations, but it was essentially outside sales. Like I was cold calling and that was really, really tough, um, really tough. And I stuck with it and I became a manager. They relocated me to Memphis for a couple of years and then wow. to Boston after that. Um, and I got to a point where I was like, I've done the cold calling thing. I've done the sales thing, done the sales manager thing. I really want to get back into like, public relations, public relations, like, you know, and, and really one of the things that I, I'd really struggled with um, was that I would have these clients with my, my previous employer and they would talk about all these, these issues they were having, like they, they couldn't reach their members and all these public relations issues. And I would have, wow, I know what you could do, but I didn't have any capacity to actually do that for them. Right. So, um, and then I ended up finding out about the company that I'm currently with at a convention I was working and the, the, the girl that was there representing them, the young woman, I shouldn't say girl, um, was so hype about it and so proud of it. Yeah, public relations, son. (laughs) Okay. And so then earlier this year, when I decided it was time to leave, um, my other employer after 12 years, I, I kind of went through like, what do I want to do? Who do I want to work with? And it was really important to me to work for a company that was very like socially minded, um, labor friendly, because the company at the insurance company I'd worked with for years was a union company, which was pretty rare. Mm-hmm. And I had worked with so many unions and union members that I really like, I didn't want to leave that completely. So the agency I'm with now is actually the only um, union shop public relations agency in the country. Really cool. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you transfer during the pandemic time or before? I did. Interesting. So your corner office is being built, is what you're saying? Yeah, 
<laughs> that's cool, man, to, to make that change. And and I know we go to, we talk about creative stuff here, but like for those of us with day jobs, there is that little bit of decision. Like, does one thing have to stop while you create your other thing, but you find a way to find a better situation on your your work close to what you want to do and i always commend people to do that but the question i have for you is man how that jump feel like i mean that must have been crazy i mean you were there at your house company for about five or six years it must have been like this is going to be stable why would i even decide to jump to go back to something to where i could be potentially out of practice because i've been doing their format for so long well, I am definitely out of practice. I was at my my previous employer for 12 years. That's oh, 12. all I've done wow. since graduating college. Um, but so part of it was I had known that I wanted to start the podcast. Um, but with my previous job, I was on the road three or four nights a week. I wanted to do other things, but I didn't really, by the end of the day, I didn't have much capacity. There was no like life left. It was enough to like go do a workout and go to bed. Right. And they're just, it felt very energy zapping. And I got to a point where I'm like, even though I'm not ready to go like a hundred percent and like, I can't just, I wasn't in a point financially where I could just say, I'm starting a podcast and I'll figure it out. Like I was not there, but I, I need to have a job that is closer to a nine to five situation that I also have enough creative energy left at the end of my day that I can pursue my passions sure. in my actual downtime. So let's talk about the podcast. It's called Breaking Labels. It's actually out now on iTunes and Spotify. Uh, fantastic. I gave it five stars and I totally meant every single word of it. Uh, just real quick, what will be like your elevator pitch of the show for the uninitiated? Oh, goodness. No pressure. Um, no, no, not at all. Tell me. So it's just me having conversations with people who have been or felt confined to a label at some point in their life and their process to get past it. Whether getting past it means losing the label or embracing it and making it their own. Because I think, I don't think that there's one response that's correct, right? I think everybody's different, but. Yeah, that's, well, you guys check it out uh, after this one, of course. <laughs> yes, but, but this one yeah, this one first, of course. You talked about trying to start up before and having no life left. I mean, there is a lot of reasons that People have an idea of one sort of podcast. Let's be real. There are hundreds of millions of podcasts now. There are more podcasts in this country than there are Americans in this country. But what was the decision that said, this is still the time for me to do it? Why would I want to launch this property, especially in 2020, where everyone tends to be shutting up shop and closing down? Mm -hmm. Well, so I, like I said, I known I wanted to for a long time, but my struggle was what on earth I'm going to talk about because there was so much I wanted to talk about. Yeah. I wanted to talk about race because that's something that in my life I've seen so much and it's just such an interesting and nuanced topic depending on who you speak with. And I love love stories. I want to tell love stories, like all these things. And I'm like, well, I got to start five podcasts. And it's like, all right, well, that's so overwhelming that I just never started one. Right. Um, but what happened was, Earlier, actually, during COVID, I was reading this book, and um, <laughs> I talk about it on my episode because it's it's not, I think, something that people would expect, but it was this book by Holly Madison, one of Hugh Hefner's former girlfriends. The Holly Madison. The Holly Madison. Oh, my. Down the rabbit hole. <laughs> and um, I was listening to it, and I was just struck by how, you know, in that book, you kind of get a not kind of, you get a full view of what she was going through when she was on that show, Girls Next Door, and her life in the mansion. And it was nothing 
like what I thought it was from what I saw on the, the pretty packaged TV show. True. And I realized one, how naive I was, but two, I was so struck by like, oh my God, I'm so glad to hear this, the rest of the story, you know, the, the um, Paul Harvey, the rest of the story, I don't know. <laughs> yes, I do get that reference because I'm, I'm old too. So <laughs> I, I'm old, I'm old as Paul Harvey was. <laughs> and now Paul you know the rest of the story. <laughs> But I thought, well, man, it's amazing. But I thought, well, all of us have that. All of us have a rest of the story, but not all of us have a platform or this name that can get a book about it, right? So I yeah. thought, okay, that's what the podcast is going to be, is these labels that we all have and looking beyond them. And and even and the beauty of it is I listen to a lot of business podcasts because I've been so enamored and just inspired by people who have the gumption to go out on their own and create something, right. anything, whether it's a business, a brand, whatever it may be. But I don't think that's the only definition of success. And interesting. I wanted a podcast that could say, okay, you can overcome this label and still have a very regular quote unquote life. Like the 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 you made it doesn't have to be you started this hugely successful company it could just be you had this this thing that felt confining and suffocating and no it now it no longer does yeah that that's awesome success is something that's hard to quantify hard to define but it's very easy to shorthand visualize to the point of it being detrimental we think of you know the the big car we think of the the the, the house we think of all these material things and success could be a part of our growth and i like the fact that you mentioned that off the rip like episode one is like the manifesto shot across the bow this is the ride strap in um what i did like about your launch strategy which is what i want to talk to you about which sounds like a very very formal thing was that you you released this episode this release this podcast it's almost like a newborn you know it's kind of like you made this thing with your own hands digitally um mm -hmm. and you show out to your world but like your personal network came out in droves and supported this podcast off the jump. And I want you to walk me through this, the the creating it, the going for it, the creating it, the releasing it into the world, seeing your baby boy or girl grow up and just that quickly. Um, so that was something that I wish I could say I knew what happened, but I didn't at all. I, so funny enough, I, um, <laughs> I launched it and I did the recording. I did all of that and it was up and live. And I wanted, I knew the next week I would be posting um, an episode, my first interview episode, but I wanted to go ahead and post my story to kind of just as an introduction to that one. Genius move. And just say, Hey, I've started this um, more episodes to come. And I thought that would be the end of it. I thought I would get like three likes from like my aunt who always liked my stuff because we all have that family member that like they don't even know what they're liking, but they like it. Yeah. I just, and that's, I thought that would be the end of it. And then I was like, okay, and then I'm going to start the Instagram and then I'll really advertise it and promote it once like I have like other people on it. And then when I got the feedback that I did, like people started sharing it. Um, they were like, how do I, how do I put this on my post? How do I tell people about this? And I was like, well, I didn't think anybody would want to tell anybody about it. And I just, I know this sounds so, I feel such like, um, almost like a pessimist, 
Okay. <laughs> but I just didn't think people were going to be that supportive. It didn't even occur to me. I assumed if the podcast grew, it would be from complete strangers, not from the people in my own network. Why is that though? Why did you feel that way? Because I had made it a habit to not care about what people thought that without realizing it, I just assumed that meant they would always think the worst. Right. Or that they wouldn't be supportive. And unfortunately I had a habit for a while of having my closest friends were probably not the most supportive people. Mm-hmm. So I just got accustomed to not feeling supported. And I do think that's important too, to some extent that like, you can't always just wait for people to clap for you. Like you just got to do it. Clap for yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I got so, I was like, well, I'm just clapping for me. Like I'm going to post this. But there was a part of me that was like, you know what? I want to just admit this. And when people actually listened to it and I had some girls reach out to me and say, oh my God, I felt the same way. And they were ones that I had held on a pedestal and thought, oh my God, they would never question whether or not they're beautiful. They would never question not whether or not they're worthy. Then I was like, oh, this is something. Yeah. There's more to this than I even realized. I, I wanted to mention that because a lot of us, when we when we launch things, uh, we always worry about, or not worry, but we just kind of write off our friends. Because when it comes to a lot of creative endeavors, at least for things I've worked on, my friends have seen me suck. They've seen me at the first lesson, the first step. So when I'm saying, experience this, consume this, buy this, share this, it's kind of like, I was there from day one. Can I get a discount? <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, or can I get whatever? But I, I really want to put that out there because there, is, there are times that we are self-limiting. And the fact you went for it and you posted it anyway, even though you had the mindset of like, eh, what up, auntie? Um, and getting the reaction. That's why I saw it. Once you have enough friends liking and commenting things, like you haven't shown up with my algorithm in like six months. I follow you on Instagram, but on Facebook, you haven't shown up in forever except that post and the reason why i stop is because so many people talking different ages and colors and parts of the country came out and drove and say hey she did a thing let's go praise the thing and that was what i like doing this for i, I love to see that happen and and what like four or five episodes in what's the the greatest thing have you discovered about yourself as a host of this show we're creating episodes Ooh. That's a good question. I don't know that I've discovered a greatest thing yet. I, well, it feels so at home and natural. And for somebody who spent 12 years trying to force herself into being a great salesperson, because that's what my job required and expected of me. And for somebody who spent a lifetime trying to fit into whatever I was expected to be or felt like I needed to be, it is really nice to just be me and to feel like that's enough. And to feel like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. And I think we spend so much time trying to figure that thing out when it's there all along. It has always been there. And I, and I, wish I had done it sooner. I wish I really do. I wish I'd done it sooner. But I do think that some to some extent, what helps is I had started, I don't know, a few years ago, sharing more openly on Facebook and my Instagram things that like, I would gradually become more vulnerable, gradually share things. And as people would connect with me and say, Oh, my God, I feel the same. And it would every time it would kind of give me that little boost, right? Like, yeah, 
oh, okay. So, th and there are going to be people who look at me like, I can't believe you post that. Why would you ever post that? Cool. You hate my people. Whatever. <laughs> Shaking your head, everything like that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I've had friends say that, like, oh, I mean, it's some of the stuff you post. And it's like, <laughs> I guess it's a good thing you're not posting it on yours. Right. Um, but it kind of made it easier to be vulnerable with the podcast and to say, yeah, hey, this is what I'm doing. And I know I'm supposed to be doing it. So I'm gonna support it or not. There's this feeling that creatives do get at a certain point, and, and it's kind of like the, the sense of self, the being me, I'm gonna do me. Uh, mm. We are all on that path. To, it's almost like a self-actualization for people who create things, but what does that mean to you specifically? What does being Rosanna Gill mean when it comes to the show, your life, the way you look at the world? So, oh. I'm glad you asked that because I have been on like this kind of journey and I've been doing a lot of reading and journaling. And okay. the most freeing thing for me has been embracing the thought that being myself and doing what I f have felt called to do for as long as I can remember could also be a way for me to be successful. And it always felt like it was either or. Yeah. Right. Like if I'm passionate, if I'm natural at this, then I can't be successful. Like there, I'm going to have to make myself. I'm going to have to monetize some other talent because it can't be this. And when you allow and open up space for this, no, I could, this could just be it. Like I don't have to struggle and strive and listen to every how to on how to do this and how to do that. And it's like, well, maybe I was just meant to do this. And that is enough. Yeah. And it's, sure I'm so, I've been in such like a hustle mode for so long. And like, I came from this mentality of you work hard and you have to work, like you work as many jobs as you need to just to get by. That the thought of, well, maybe you could just do one job that you're really great at and it won't feel like work and you can still do better than just get by. And it's like, pfft explosions multiple explosions <laughs> multiple. and it was and also i saw it in my family like my dad is a teacher he is i mean he was meant to be his he's a history teacher the man reads history books during the summer for fun so he can pick them apart and see when they're whether they're you know historically accurate and which ones are factual like my i man. mean he, <laughs> I, he should have it on youtube like he is the craft, yeah. version of bill nye the science guy <laughs> oh, that'd be a cool, show. That'd be he, a cool show I would, I would actually, so I think he's going to retire next year. And I actually would love to start a YouTube because he's, he is such an animated person and he just, he loves what he does, but we were also always the broke family. So I kind of, without realizing it made this connection of, well, if you do what you love and you're always going to be pay paycheck to paycheck, like you're not going to do well. And his two brothers both worked in corporate America, were very, very successful and could do things we could never do. Like I, it was crazy to me when I found out people on vacations went somewhere other than to just visit family where they could stay for free. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I remember the first time somebody was like, I would never date somebody who doesn't travel. Like, how do you not travel? And I was like, well, how do you have the money to travel? Right. I would love to, but that's not in my family's budget. Like we, what? 
Cracker Barrel is a great experience when you're traveling. I mean, yeah, Grandma's Chicken, man. I don't know. It's pretty dope. <laughs> not my Grandma's Chicken. <laughs> well, I never said it was. <laughs> I'm not saying it's Grandma Quality. That's what they call okay. it, the Cracker Barrel. <laughs> Lord, look at me like messed up by everyone who watches listens to this podcast now. Maybe at my door. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, what, what's next for you? I mean, we're heading up 2021. And this is, if you believe in resolutions, that'll be that. But if you're not doing that, the show can only go up and get bigger from here. I mean, where do you see the podcast coming? You see networks, spinoffs, more shows, more guests. Like, what is the vision for the show, Breaking Labels? Um, definitely more shows, more guests. I'm just believing that they're going to be plenty of there's going to be no shortage of people who are excited to be interviewed and and i pray will be willing to share it with their followers so the message can spread and and my pastor who was actually my first interview um or my first guest said this after um after her episode dropped and she said just remember it's for the one and i hope that no matter how big the podcast gets because i'm believing it's going to yeah i never forget that it's for the one and I, I think it's, there's this one thing of like, if you have, you know, famous people on the podcast, of course, that's going to get people to download because there's this interest of, they want to know this other side of this, this famous person. Right. But I don't ever want to get to a point where it's only famous people because I just don't, I just, I hate this mentality that we can only learn from one type of person. Right. When some of the best wisdom I have gotten has been from the most unlikely sources. I mean, some of the conversations I have been blessed to have, it's just like, did that, did I just get wisdom dropped to me in the Sears auto department? <laughs> it's not even pet boys. No, well, right, no. <laughs> I didn't have a pet boys card. I had a Sears card and that's what <laughs> you put major repairs on a credit when you broke. So Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. But I mean, just, I don't ever want to lose that. And I don't ever want to forget that because, okay, fine. Like this, my dream guest too, Sarah, Bla Sarah Blakely and Oprah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh, celebrities, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I don't ever want to feel like, okay, I've had Oprah. But who's to say that a listener on my pod of my podcast, like me 10 years ago, couldn't get as much from the man who's bagging groceries at the at the stop and shop down the road? You know, like just because there's this name in this entity does not mean that that's the most that people can get. Yeah. I don't know if I'm being redundant. No, there's a there's a I guess a post celebrity theorem. I guess about if you make a certain level of notoriety, it's you know, it's okay to send the elevator back down. So if your show gets that big, you can land Oprah. I think you would serve the 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 teacher who did forty five years in the underserved school district a world of help if you had them on the show the episode after. If more people are on your show, so there's nothing wrong with that, not at all. And that's kind of cool that you still want to keep true to that mission statement because I do think the why is what keeps us doing the, whatever our thing is. Um, and it can change, it can modify, but you have to know what that is or else you get yeah. bored or you just say, ah, oh, not this week or ah, I'll, I'll start off in the summer and then it kind of tapers off from there. But it's kind of cool that you want to make sure that you're not becoming just beholden to whoever is hot in the streets, as the kids say. <laughs> yes. And I feel like I've fallen prey to that. There have been times where, and I'm a 
avid consumer of podcasts. Like I love them. But I, there have been a couple times where I don't recognize the name, so I don't listen to it. And then I have to make myself like, nah. just because you don't know that name doesn't mean that you can't get something of value from them. And I have to, like, I, it's something I've had to kind of like slap my own hand and be like, well, stop it. Like, you don't know what you're going to get from this. You are so sassy to yourself. <laughs> slap oh, yourself in the I'm hand. Very <laughs> I'm very sassy. <laughs> That's what's up. Uh, personal question. Do you keep a bucket list at all? And if so, what's on it? Ooh. No, not really, not a running one, but I definitely want to go to Greece. That's actually on my vision board, and it's been on my vision board for a year and a half now. Any so particular part of Greece or just Greece wholesale? Well, <laughs> my ignorant butt put pictures of Santorini thinking that all of Greece looked like that. Apparently it does not. I just found that out this year, that all of Greece does not look, I have the white buildings and the blue right. top. I thought all of Greece was like that because I've never been there. Well, not only New York is the Empire State Building. I totally relate to that. It's fine. <laughs> yes. Prime example. Yeah. So I would love to go to Santorini because I do want to see all the white buildings and the blue tops. But I want to yeah. see the rest. And I, I just, I want to go to Europe. I want to see so many places. Um, yeah, my bucket list is more travel. Yeah. Um, and meeting Oprah. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of funny. Uh, it's funny because of what I'm doing. But my, my biggest goal as far as celebrities is to meet Tony Danza. <laughs> so I could, I could totally relate to that. Because we talked about this earlier today. Like, uh, we were, uh, I'm actually going to be a future guest on your show, Breaking Labels, and I can't wait for that episode. But we talked about slashes. And, and so there's always this pursuit to hustle and to work and say, oh, man, I, I do this and that and that and that and that. And what happens is we don't really know. We're pretty cutting ourselves thin because our, our slashes are so disparate that we yep. don't take time to be proficient at one. We want to be at all. Which makes sense if you're used to a corporate culture that exploits one person to seven jobs. So of course you're gonna translate that to what you're doing. But I like Tony Danza uh, because he's like the last like true Renaissance men. Like here's a guy who is a proficient boxer who taught elementary school, who is a jazz singer, who is an actor. Like he does these different things so well that I want to meet this guy. But it's just so random, like, yeah, Tony Danza is my guy. You know what I'm saying? But I didn't know all those things about him. Oh, if you like audiobooks, he wrote this, well, he wrote this book and, and said in the audiobook, I like to apologize to every teacher I ever had, where he talks about he went to Philadelphia to be a history teacher, I believe, while they were recording a reality show and so he had conflict of what the reality show wanted and what he wanted to actually teach the kids. And it's it's he does the audiobook himself. So five hours of Tony D'Angelo just like pouring his heart out about the teaching crap. Yeah, he got the license for a show, but he was really about making sure the kids got a good education that it became a thing. But yeah, anyone dedicates himself to that and so many different things. And he plays ukulele too. I mean, come on. <laughs> just threw that in there. Like, you know what? I'm going to... I'm gonna learn the ukulele too. Yeah, it just man, it blows my mind. It just blows my mind. That's so cool. I love yeah. those stories though. I love when there's like sides of people that you're like, I don't even understand how all this connects. Right. <laughs> so you are living in Boston now, but you are a Southern gal. So is mm -hmm. the Southern Bell considered a still an okay term, or has that just been too totally antiquated? Lord, uh, I, I don't know, but yes. I <laughs> So I don't know if you've heard this term. You probably have, especially when you live in Northeast Florida. But um, grits, a girl raised in the South. Yep. Even though I do hate grits, but you do. I do. So do I. I just don't yeah. get it. No, they're. <laughs> I, 
have yeah, you- I have I have had them with a lot of butter and bacon and cheese, and I was like, oh, this is good. But it's like, well, yeah, because there's butter and bacon. Really, I just liked that I was eating butter and bacon. Oh what? my gosh, we are on the same wave. Like I'm like, because because I'll say I don't get grits, and everyone's like, you're making them wrong. I'm like, if I can make something sixty ways, it's not the thing then. Right. <laughs> right. Know? Uh, how has how has your upbringing and culture influenced your work, day job side, and creative endeavors? Like, what's the how does one thing lead to the other? So actually, good question. Um, growing up in the South, uh, in an interracial family has impacted me tremendously because when you don't look like what people assume you're going to look like, you are privy to a lot of conversations that you wouldn't otherwise be. Hmm. And there were so many times when growing up, even as a young adult, when people would tell me their, their views on the opposite race because they felt comfortable enough with me. They felt safe. Like, well, you, I don't like, well, I don't consider you black. So that's why I can say this to you. Mm. And all those conversations were just so eye opening and sometimes very sad to me. And I just thought, man, I wish people understood this. Like when you've had black people confide in you about certain things, you have white people, and you just want to scream like, you're not as different as your freaking thing. Like, <laughs> Country music is rap music, I swear. Yeah, like, <laughs> I don't know why you, why we're, you're finding reasons to, to not connect with somebody when, again, for me in, in Florida, when especially there, everybody perceived me as Hispanic. Again, I got to kind of submerge myself in a culture I wouldn't otherwise because everybody I worked with was Mexican, but we worked at a Cuban restaurant and the crap that the Mexicans took from Puerto Ricans and Cubans. And most of the people that I worked with at that, that restaurant were undocumented. Mm -hmm. And all of these different experiences and again, conversations that I got to have with people where I was just like, oh, the world needs to understand. Like, it's just, there's so much more there's yeah. so many more layers to people than we want to think. There's so much more depth and yeah. and just anything I could do to kind of take all of these and, and capture these conversations and share them so that maybe people will connect. Yeah. And and especially with the labels. That's why I like, and I think I said it on one of them, but I want to say it on all of them, like, especially if you think that you're not going to connect with that label, listen to it. Because I know from how many years of experience that they're going to, there's going to be something because there's so many more things that connect us as humans that than what disconnect us. We're just so focused on all the things that disconnect us. In your experience, like what what is the reason you think that people just group those individuals a certain way? I know you don't have the answer for everyone in every situation. Right. But what you've seen, like what do you think is the reason why we say those people are like this? is just difference yeah and i think it's it's honestly it's lazy mm -hmm. and people nobody wants to think of themselves as lazy but if you're a racist you're lazy mm -hmm. if you want to assume you know the character of somebody by the, the color of their skin or their value or worth it is because you cannot be bothered to take the time to get to know them yeah. and that goes and a lot of times when i say that the the inherent assumption is, oh, well, I'm talking about white people. Well, no, I've been 
told by plenty of black people that I'm not black enough, that I don't count, which to me was very offensive. And then all of a sudden were perfectly happy to talk to me when they found out my mom was black. Okay, you're all right now. Well, I was all right before you knew what color my mom's skin was. So please don't take a sudden interest in me just because now you think we have more in common. We had we had the same amount in common before. You just didn't want to be open to me because you thought I was just another Hispanic, another light skinned Hispanic girl or which was also interesting was in Florida. It was always Hispanic and South Carolina was just what are you in Memphis? You are either white or you're black. Yes. Memphis is very like what's the word binary, I guess, when it comes to that kind of thing. Yeah. It was the first time people actually would refer to me as a white woman. And I was the first time somebody said it, I was looking around, I was like, who's he talking about? I've never been called white in my life. It's always been, what are you? But not you're just white. Yeah. When I went to Memphis, I felt like I went back twenty years in time. <laughs> Memphis I, is very unique in that in that way. It really in the other side too, South Haven is very unique in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've been there once on vacation because my mom wanted to see Graceland. It was like her her big American thing. I got to see Graceland. You're like, okay, bah. And I felt like I felt like I took my kids to Disneyland. Like, I paid good money for these tickets. You're going to enjoy them. Uh, but when I went, we were we were like, because my my brother and I are 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 we're like mid chocolate, but like you know milk chocolate. My mom is incredibly darker. My dad is about your complexion. He's still considered black in Caribbean senses because he has the one drop rule. But he's what they call red, which is totally means something else in the United States, but he's considered red. And so when we walked in the family and they see two different shades or three different shades of black, my brother and I and my mom, they would ask like, is your daddy white? I was like, no, but <laughs> in the way you look at it in Memphis, it could be, it gets very complicated there for sure. So my mom's side, I mentioned she's she's um, Cajun Creole. Um, her, well, actually she's her stepdad, but you're, he was, black but he was so fair-skinned that when i was a little girl i thought he was white and one time my mom referred to him as black and i was like grandpa's white and she was like no he's not i was like he's the same color as dad ergo he is white like i don't know why you're making this complicated like like, i don't mean anything by it i'm just i just want you to know if we're being technical grandpa is white right and he actually when he died and they had the memorial for him we were, by the way, my mom's the second oldest of 16. So this was like a massive thing. All grandkids came in. There was 48 grandkids and like 20 great grand. It was this whole thing. Wow. So you must there have was, cousins, like dozens of cousins. Oh, well, I have 48 first cousins. And then the second cousins, I mean, who knows at this point? Because it's crazy. So yeah. when they have like any kind of a family get together, they have to rent out a facility, literally, to fit everybody. And then every, it's not like everybody even comes, but my, so sitting next to my grandmother at my grandfather's funeral is this older white woman. And I'm looking at, I'm like, I've never seen her before. Who is it? And I'm just keep looking at her and I'm, I look at my, I'm like, who is that the white lady? And she was like, that's grandpa's sister. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Because if you had looked at this woman, you never would have thought she had a drop of anything in her other than white. And she was, well, that was one of his siblings that when they were old enough, they went out to California and disowned the family so they could pass for white. Wow. And they did. And they didn't, my grandpa and she did not have a relationship for probably 40 years until at some point she was like, okay, I'm getting older in age. And I, like, I think it finally got to her that she didn't know and she had no relationship with her family. But it was because for them, that was survival. Listen, if I can pass for white, I'm gonna. 
because I'm going to have a completely different life. And they did. They had a great life in California as white people. Yeah. Meanwhile, nobody knows there that they have an entire mixed family back in Louisiana. And there's so many stories like that, that it's like, why does nobody talk about this? Why yeah. is this not being shared over and over and over just so people understand all the things that like people hold and, and that have kind of shaped them? Absolutely. How did the uh, the events of the Black Lives Live movement this year uh, affect you as a person of uh, biracial interest? So it was very difficult because it felt like any other time I was striding a line. I was straddling this line and I had people on one side who felt one way and I had friends who felt others and I felt somewhere in the middle where, and also, so to, to further complicate it for me is my, my boyfriend is a corrections officer and to have a significant other in law enforcement who all of a sudden now, not all of a sudden, but that a lot of people have kind of written off as this horribly bad entity when I know him as a human. And he is a wonderful, kind-hearted man. But I also have this like fierce frustration and anger about things that have happened. And I wanna say, I want to go out and support and say Black Lives Matter, but I don't want to be standing next to somebody who says F the police or all police are bad because for all I know, you might do something to my boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And and for me, it was hard because it felt like things became so, people were making things so black and white when once again, to me, I'm like, why don't you see the gray in this? Why Why does nobody see the gray in this situation? Yes, racism is bad. Racism is wrong. The inherent racism that has been in a lot of law enforcement agencies is awful. But to also go and say all police officers are horrible or should die is just as inherently wrong to me. And I felt a lot of confliction. There was one day I was going to go to a, um, an event and I didn't and I just I was trying to explain to my boyfriend and I just was sobbing. And it was just like all of these feelings of not knowing where I should stand or where I fit in or where my beliefs are, were coming to a head. And it's being, I'm seeing it on TV and in social media and, and all of these things. And it's just like, it was, it's been very overwhelming as a whole. Sure. And so, from my perspective, it did seem now more than ever, and then you can look at it as this year or the past five years or the past 10 years, we have been clutching more to our labels, if need be. You know, I am this, I am that, I work in this field. Uh, almost any walk of life has merchandise now. For example, <laughs> political candidates have like uh, specialty coins and track suits. And uh, it's like it's like almost like going to a team, you know? And uh, it's been one of the things I had to sit there. And, I, and like quite you, I'm on the fence for different reasons. You know, I'm 100% black. Like my, my parents are black people, but it, it is what you're seeing on different outlets, the representation of different outlets. Because what I'm seeing on TV, it's a lot different than what happened in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, protests where 400 black people got on a bike 
and they rolled down Venice Boulevard, and that was our protest. But then you look on TV, it looks like something completely different. Um, and and it, it, it is complicated, and it is shades of gray to your, to your credit and to your point, but it is interesting, at least from my perspective, how we just just pick our labels and we will fight to them, <laughs> good <What>? and bad, <laughs> positive or negative, no matter what happens, you know? And it's so sad because it's like, when I have one-on-one -on -one conversations with people, I find so many things that we agree on. And, and the beauty of not agreeing, like, again, the beauty of, for me, having somebody who is on the, the what's perceived as the bad side right now is there are a lot of things that he can explain to me that I would never understand or think of from somebody who's never worked in law enforcement. And I've never seen the things that he has. But I feel like instead of, and at first it was very, one of us has to be right, one of us has to be wrong. And as soon as I could let go of that and say, okay, wh what could also be true? And I will say one, somebody that actually helped me a lot was actually my therapist because when Black Lives Matter, like when all of this was just exploding, I had, I was like, I gotta, I gotta talk to somebody because I don't, I have all of these feelings and all of these emotions and I don't know what to do with them. And he was the one who said, you know, why can't both be true? Why can't it be true that there's this horrific racism, right? And it's wrong. And why can't it also be true that there are also good people and there's another side of it too. And I've been struggling at times to like keep coming back to that yeah. because I, I am just like most people and I tend to just whatever the soundbite is, I go with it and that's all of it. Well, there might be more to it. And there's, yeah. and one thing that also was very frustrating for me was I am, um, I'm a member of a union and, and when I was one of the meetings that we were having, not my union meeting, but another council meeting I was having and, and everybody was talking and they were like, well, we're not going to support the police union and all these different things. And, you know, they represent this and that and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, I'm going to play devil's advocate here because I've worked in the insurance industry for 12 years and I have seen the rampant racism in a lot of industries besides law enforcement. I had a group in Northeast Florida who would not work with my company because as I found out later, not he didn't tell me this, he told my bosses, cause she was white, that we had so many black people working in our agency and they didn't want black people coming to their home. Mm -hmm. I have, when I lived in Memphis and I would go into, go over to Arkansas and I had a, somebody say, whenever I said, oh, I live in Memphis, well, it's mighty dark over there. And I had no idea what he was talking about. My coworker had, when we got to the car, had explained, oh, well, he's talking about how many black people there are. What? Like people care, but like all these things. And so I took, I got pretty angry when these, all these, these other unions are saying, it's the police. And I'm like, well, y'all need to look at your own. Before you point your fingers, you need to look at what your own members say and do, because I've heard some of them and they are just as ugly. And maybe people aren't dying, but I want you to know you, you are still hurting people. You're still causing harm. So for you to think that you can just point at one group is wrong. Yeah. You, everybody needs to look at themselves. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head. I think a, a period of self-examination is always healthy, uh, but we get so into our tribes, to lack of a better term, that we get kind of like blind to new information or we reject that new information as fake news, <laughs> you know, or there's no way, not my child or not my kid or what have you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I, I feel like 
I've learned so much about the start of the podcast and where you come from, but let's put it all together now because I, okay. I love where this is going. I love your your energy, your spirit um, when it comes to this. If I am, and I will be, an avid listener of your show, uh, Breaking Labels, available weekly, I think currently every Wednesday on your yes. favorite podcast app, what exactly am I going to take away from How can I apply the lessons there to my own life as someone who may not be a pastor's wife, for example? Right. So... One thing that seems to keep coming up from each of them is it's not about whatever the label is. It is about being able to step into yourself and being your authentic self. And I almost hate to say that because I feel like that's in so many self-help books and so many like so many self-help it's true, books. <laughs> but it's and it is. And and every person I have spoken to, there is a time and a sense of awakening for them where whatever they've been going through, they kind of come to this moment where they think, okay, I'm gonna do something differently. And I keep asking this question of, well, what is it a particular one instance or one quote or, and it's never one. It is this evolution that we all go through. And I think that's the beauty of with whatever the label is, yeah. you that can resonate. The label actually is not important, it is, the process of that person understanding who they are, who they were meant to be, and embracing it. And then the beauty is when you become beyond embracingly, but you you become doggedly protective of who you are. Yeah. And saying like, uh-uh, I'm not gonna, if it ain't for me, it's not for me, and I'm done. Like, I'm not gonna be, I'm, I'm perfectly fine and proud of the fact that I fall asleep no matter where I am at 10.30 at night. <laughs> I could be at a bar. <laughs> I could be in the middle of a house party. I could, well, I couldn't be driving. That's how I fuck all the time. But like, I'm, <laughs> I'm not a late night girl. And I tried for so long to be that cool girl who go out and all like pound Red Bull so I could stay awake. And finally I was like, you know what? I like sleep. Yeah. Are you and, a morning person or you sleep to the morning too? No, I like being up in the morning. I, I, some of my, my best like time is in the morning, early morning. I don't want to talk to people early morning, but I, that's that's my that's my sacred time. Right, executive time. <laughs> yeah, and, but it was just like getting to a point where I was like, I don't care if you make fun of me. Fine, I'll make fun of me too because sometimes it's kind of funny that I randomly fall asleep. But it is what it is, and I if you think that makes me boring or you don't want to hang with me, cool, because I'm gonna go to bed anyway. <laughs> like okay, sorry, not sorry. Uh, <laughs> I did not think it was going to end that way. Uh, Rosetta, <laughs> you are, you are elite. Yeah, I love, I love the way you look at the world. I love the way your passion is with your project. And I hope nothing but the best, but I'm sure you're going to have a bunch of new fans after this episode is released. Where can the world find you online? Where can they learn about the show, the show's Instagram, all that good stuff. Oh, thank you. So, um, the podcast right now is on Spotify and iTunes, um, breaking labels. Uh, now as of this week, we have an Instagram and it is, I mean, wait for the most complicated name ever. It is the Breaking Labels Podcast. On okay. It's easy to remember. The Breaking right? Labels Podcast. Well, so here's the thing. I needed to make something I would remember. And I'm <laughs> simple, simple. Breaking Labels Podcast. It is what it is. There's no abbreviations. Just type in Breaking Labels Podcast and it comes up. And I will, the, the Instagram was really important to me because... I wanted people to, at times, be a little bit shocked by the people that they can connect with. 
because I think one of the beauty, the one of the beauties, one of the beautiful things about podcasts, right, is that you can connect with someone's story and you don't have the prejudgment that you would if you can see them. Mm. But the beauty of linking it to the Instagram is that I think sometimes people are going to be very surprised at the story they hear. They have the ability to connect with them and then they go and see them and think, oh, I may not have assumed that story from that person if I saw them on the street. Ah, I see. So I really hope people really connect with the Instagram and, and slide in the DMs, do all that. Like, I would love to hear from people if, if they have suggestions on who I should interview. Totally open to it. Bring them. Well, I would love to have you back on a future episode to see how this show will grow because it totally will. Uh, any final words for the fans, the citizens of New Amsterdam? Keep listening to Fobo because he is awesome. Okay. And he has the coolest, best podcast voice ever. Oh, you do. It's like so smooth. It's great. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I was listening. I was like, this is so comforting to listen to. Cool. <laughs> so but, yeah. voice. Just keep listening. Thank you so much. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode of New Amsterdam Radio, the complete unabridged audio interpretation of this interview I had with Rosanna Gill. And if you want to check out the video version, make sure you become a member of the Boisterous Crew at patreon.com slash Any little bit helps as we build the city brick by brick. Stay in touch with the show. You can do that over on Instagram at New Amsterdam or on Twitter at New underscore Amsterdam in both instances it's new with a K K-E-W and uh, the website is newamsterdam.com and it has information about not only this show this podcast my cheap and shameless attempt to get a Peabody award <laughs> as I like to say but also all the other shows and programs that I'm working on content wise we're talking about my sister shows What's Up Flobo After Hours Flobo saw it on Netflix Draped in Gold and Commander's Log, and the latter is a Star Trek podcast that I'm really proud of. Get to hang with uh, people a lot more versed in Star Trek lore than I am as we talk about the news and notes of the day vis-a-vis Star Trek Discovery, one of my favorite current television programs. That does it for me on this edition of New Amsterdam Radio. i like to thank you all for over the past year, you know, we, we, we've grown the show by leaps and bounds and being able to hear just notes of, of, of gratitude, I guess, or just saying, hey, Flobo, I checked out this week's episode. It was pretty awesome. It does mean a lot to me. Uh, who knows where we're going to be a year from now? Uh, but I love the ride that we're on right now, currently. I think I have one more episode, or I think two, one or two in me for the rest of this year. I just want to make sure I get my thanks out of the way in case I put my head down and forget about that when we get down to the actual end of the year. So just want to say thank you so much for making this city, not just a crazy idea in my head, but a concept that can live and thrive in the years to come. NewAmsterdam.com is a website, as I said. But it's about high time I get out of here. Until next time, as always, this city is yours. <laughs>